Well, good morning. That was truly awful. Good morning. A little better. Good. Thank you. All right. Well, I, I love that last song. Um, I've heard it a few times. But it reminded me of the quote by uh, C.S. Lewis who said, I believe in Christianity the same way that I believe in the sun. Not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit this morning. I hope that this talk will shed some light for you in maybe a dark place before. And I want to thank Christian DeShield for giving me the opportunity to speak to you. My name is David Landis. I'm Vice President for Administration here at the college. And I want to tell my, um, my son and daughter who are here, Josh and Abby, right away, I have no stories to tell about either of you today, which I know is highly disappointing to you. But... I'm supposed to be preaching on uh, or teaching on Romans 10, but we're going to actually start back in the Old Testament. Uh, The Bible tells us that when Moses was 120 years old, God, it says the Lord revealed to him that he was about to die. That seems kind of obvious, right? But, and he said that he would not actually lead the children of Israel into the promised land. In Deuteronomy 30, Uh, verse 11, Moses is giving his farewell speech. And in verses 11 through 14 and 19, he says this, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend in heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Well, you know, it seems like a pretty obvious theme to his speech here. If you choose to reject God, it leads to death and destruction. If you choose to follow God, it leads to life and blessing. So his His theme is choose life. And he tells the people, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. I wonder if Moses was calling to mind something that had happened earlier in their journey across this wilderness. You remember the story. The children of Israel are captive in Egypt. God sends ten plagues. Pharaoh says, uh, I know I'm not going to let you go. And then finally he says, get out. They cross the Red Sea and they wander around the desert. The Bible tells us for up to 40 years. So in Numbers 21, uh, verse 4, it says, the Bible tells us, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now, what is the miserable food that they were talking about? It was manna. And each morning when the Israelites got up, there was this flaky bread sitting on the floor of the desert. The Bible tells us that it was white and that it tasted like wafers mixed with honey. When the sun got hot, this uh, manna disappeared. Every single day, it was a daily miracle and a reminder that God was with them. But they called this miserable food that they detested. How often do we take for granted what God has given us and blessed us with, right? You know, I heard 
have you ever complained about something that's been a blessing to you? I heard a, a guy one time say, you know, if something that's a blessing to you, if you're complaining about it, just go without it for two days. You know, like my car is a piece of junk, so walk for two days. Or the food at the calf is so boring, just don't eat for two days. Or I hate my phone. Well, don't use it for two days, right? I think that's probably a good experiment if you're, if you're a complainer. But So the Israelites are complaining, uh, and the Bible tells us in, in, in Numbers 21, verse 6, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and, uh, and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Now, raise of hands. How many of you are scared of snakes? Be honest. Snakes bother you, right? Okay, when I was here at Sterling College, one of my friends who now works here, Scott Carter, he's vice president for institutional advancement, we knew he was scared of snakes because one time he had seen a, a, a little garter snake about yay long and, you know, was scared of it. So we thought, okay, we're going to play a, a joke on Carter. Uh, a friend of ours had a snake, a plastic snake that looked amazingly real. And so we put it in Carter's room, and when he was coming back, somebody was like, okay, Scott's coming. We all had golf clubs in our hands, and we're standing around near his room, and he goes, guys, guys, what's going on? We said, dude, there is a snake in your room. It's like this long. He's like, what? What? He starts getting a little antsy. We're like, here, grab a golf club. It's in here somewhere. We've got to get this thing. So with that, you know, we get him in the room, and somebody whips back his cover, and there's this gigantic rattlesnake, right? And to, to Scott's credit, he's not here today, can't defend himself, but to Scott's credit, he did not scream like a little girl. However, he made this weird guttural noise where he went, and then, and then ran like a little girl. So anyway, back to the story. If you're scared of snakes, you can understand what these people are going through. They're getting bit by snakes. People are dying. This is not good. So the people come back to Moses and say, listen, listen, we were wrong. We shouldn't have complained about God and about you. Please help us. And then the Lord says this. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake, put it up on a pole. Then when anyone, anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Problem solved. Now, how easy is that? Let me ask you this question. If you had the flu, and I'm talking about the bad flu. How many of you have ever had the bad flu? Okay. If you've had it, you know you've had it. If you've suffered from that for two or three days, if you went over to Nurse Connie and said, listen, I'm, I'm dying. You've got to help me. You've got to give me something. And she says, you know what? All you have to do is walk over toward the library, look at Sputnik, you're good. Would you do it? Some people are like, that's crazy. Look at Sputnik, and my flu goes away, right? Well, what if three or four people came up to you and said, dude, I was sicker than a dog. I puked for three days. I look at Sputnik. Five minutes, I was eating chili cheese fries. <laughs> then you might be like, hey, I got to try this at least. But you know, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm convinced that there are some people who died in their tents because they were too stubborn to actually take a look at the snake. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but knowing human nature the way we all do, I'm sure there were some people that said, you know what, I'll look at the snake tomorrow. 
and died. And we're the same way in many ways. Moses is saying, what God is commanding you is not too difficult, so choose life. Well, now we get to Romans 10, finally, right? All right, here we go. Romans 10, verses 5 through 10 says this, Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul is saying the same thing that Moses was saying. It is not hard to be saved. The word is near you and it's in your mouth and in your heart. Well, if it's, if it's not hard to be saved, why aren't there more Christians? I would argue that many people don't come to Christ because they don't realize their sin problem. They don't realize how bad things really are. Because, you know, if you don't realize your sinfulness, why do you need a Savior? This reminds me of a story that Ravi Zacharias has told on occasion about two brothers that were involved in organized crime. We'll call them the Gambino brothers, right? I'm from Philadelphia. That's one of my best friends growing up was a kid named Franco D'Andrea. You know, we got some Italians back east. So the Gambino brothers were part of an organized crime family. One of the brothers died. The other brother went to a pastor uh, in a big city, and he said, listen, you know who I am? He goes, yeah, I know who you are. You're one of the Gambino brothers. He says, that's right. My brother, Frankie, died. And he said, and you're going to do, do the funeral. And he said, he, he said, I don't know about that. He goes, listen, not only are you going to do the funeral, but during the service, you're going to call my brother a saint. He said, oh. he goes, your brother was a terrible person. I can't, I can't lie like that. So the guy pulls out a gun. He says, you're going to do the funeral and you're going to call my brother a saint. And the pastor said, well, uh, all right, all right, all right. So it came time, there's the Gambino laying there, and he says, uh, he says ladies and gentlemen, we're here to uh, talk about the life of the deceased in front of us, and I want to tell you that he was a cheat, he was a liar, he was profane, he was a criminal, But compared to his brother sitting here, this man was a saint. (laughs) Now, obviously, we can always compare ourselves to someone worse, right? But what if God shows us our own sin? The story is told about Malcolm Muggeridge, a British journalist. He went to India on assignment. He uh, stayed in a hotel near the river, one of the beautiful rivers in India, as he went down there to take a swim. He looked across. The, it was getting dark, close to evening, and he saw uh, an Indian woman bathing naked across the river. Muggeridge had always struggled with temptation, but he had, he had remained true to his wife up to that point. And he started to battle within himself with this temptation and this... Uh, the, could he withstand the temptation? He wrestled back and forth with his thoughts as he continued to stare at the woman across the river. Finally, he decided uh, that 
he could get away with it. No one would know. He was in a foreign country, and he began to swim furiously toward the woman. His own conscience was, was telling him to stop, which made him swim all the harder because the fantasy of what might happen was in front of him. Well, as he swam up to the woman, he came up out of the water, and as he says, he was merely just a few feet from her. And instead of being a beautiful woman, this is what he said. He said she was old and hideous, and her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. Muggeridge was repulsed by this diseased woman and backed away from her. But then the rude shock of it dawned upon him. It was not just the woman who was diseased, it was his own heart. And you see, when Jesus calls us to be saved, he, he, we need to be saved not just from what we have done, but from who we are. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 17, 9, our heart is desperately wicked. Until we see ourselves for who we truly are, we won't want or need a Savior. Now, most of you in here know John 3, 16, right? You know the verses, the verse John 3, 16. But do you know John 3, 14 and 15, the verses that precede that? This is what the Bible tells us. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So I tell you this morning that the one and only hope for you and me of heaven is by confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. Now, in our pluralistic society, it is not acceptable or tolerant to say that there's only one option. When we say that Jesus is the only way, we automatically exclude all other religions. And because we do that, we're often labeled as bigots. People might say, who are you to be so arrogant that you're going to tell me there's only one way to God? Ravi Zacharias says this, the Christian faith is often castigated because the contemporary mindset is infuriated by any claim to ideational elitism in a pluralistic society. How dare one idea be claimed superior to another? You know what the great news is? You didn't claim it. I didn't claim it. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, John 14, 6. And you know, the funny thing about getting in these type of discussions with people is pluralism works great in philosophical religious arguments, right? But it doesn't work so well in other areas of real life. For instance, and this may be true of someone, I don't know, but let's just say, hypothetically, that there's a young man in here who is dating a young lady that also attends Sterling College. And is that true of anybody? Okay, uh, some people, <laughs> you know, come on, loud and proud, let's go. Anyway, like, well, we, you know, we've had coffee. That's, <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's say that this young man is dating a girl at Sterling, and he's dating a girl back home. Uh-oh. Okay, now it's getting more interesting. Now people are saying, okay. Now there's, I saw five girls look at their guy. What? <laughs> this, this is hypothetical, I said, hypothetical. So let's say that the girl here at Sterling finds out about 
the other woman. What will happen? What if the guy says, baby, I'm just romantically pluralistic. Is she going to take that for an answer? No, 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 no. She is going to make him choose, or as Lecrae says, his pants will be in the street. Right? Look at that. Oh, I got a clap out of that. Yeah, okay. All right. Now listen, marriage is about making a choice to love and serve one person for a lifetime, choosing to forsake all others. That's why the church is compared to the bride of Christ. The church is made up of people who have committed to love and serve one God, Jesus Christ. You know, when I was um, out of college one year, I met a girl who I am proud to say I've been married to for over 25 years. And uh, I'm not going to brag, but I, I was a youth pastor, and I had saved up $1,000. Okay? And I knew I loved this girl. I wanted to marry her. And so I went into the bank one day, and I withdrew $980 of cash. I did not have a credit card at this point in my life. All right? So I took all the cash except $20 because I'm not stupid. You need something for an emergency, right? <laughs> all right, so... I took the $980, stuck it in my pocket, drove to Hutchinson, where we had looked at rings before. Now, I am stupid because I was so in love as we're looking for rings, and she's like, oh, I love this one. Oh. And I was like, okay, she loves that one. That's the one I'm getting. I didn't even ask how much it was. So I go back. I said, I want that ring right there. The guy says, oh, that's an excellent choice, an excellent choice. I said, listen, I told you I'm from Philadelphia. You never pay full price for anything. So I said, no, no, no. I I can't do 1,800 bucks. You got to give me a deal on this. So he taps around in his calculator, turns it around, 1415. I said, listen, I'm getting, I'm going to propose to this girl and I'm going to buy a ring. I don't care if I buy it here we're down the street. I've seen other jewelers. I'll just walk over there and buy it. But I want this one, but I don't have to have it. 1150. I grabbed the calculator. I put in 980. <laughs> I said, that's what I'm going to pay. And he finally went, all right. And then I panicked and went, and that's with tax included. <laughs> so anyway, what I'm saying is if you're going to get married, you have to be all in, right? You have to be all in. Now, I would suggest, young men, that you have more than $20 to your name. But, uh, you know, God's been good. We've made it. But the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God. He wants us to make a choice. Either we're fully devoted to him or we're not. When we confess that Jesus is Lord, the word has a connotation of master or owner. And that means Jesus calls the shots. So I heard a comedian one time say Bob Dylan... Per, uh, perfected his singing voice when he was outside with a lot of flies. Eh, eh, you know, he's got that little eh going on and everything. Anyway, did you hear what he said? It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but it can't be both. So what's it going to be for you? What you really have to decide is, is Christianity true or false? C.S. Lewis wrote this, Christianity if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So if Jesus 
is not who he said he was, the son of God, then Sterling College is irrelevant. However, if what he claimed was true, and he did come out of the grave alive and is alive today, then what we do here each and every day is vitally and eternally important. I'm going to close with uh, part of a poem by Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken. Many of you have heard this poem. It opens with the line, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And his closing stanza, I think, could be part of every follower of Christ's testimony. It says this, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I... I took the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. Young people, I had no idea when I gave my heart to Christ the blessings that God would give me. And I will tell you this, it's not an easy road, and it hasn't been an easy road for me. I've gone through personal struggles that I won't get into this morning. But the reality is this, Jesus has walked with me through all of those. And if you trust him, he will make your life abundant in ways that you cannot imagine. The Bible says this, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. So my advice to you is the same advice that Moses gave, the same advice that Paul gave. Choose life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the blessing of it. We pray, God, that as these young men and women continue their studies today and continue their day, that they would contemplate what it means to choose life, to choose you over and above everything else in their their heart and in their mind. And, Lord, that you would bless them with life abundant. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.